City Hope family. Everybody good? Just wave at me if you're good. All right, look at your neighbor. If they're not waving, wave at them. Okay. I want to welcome the campuses, Baymanette, Foley, Mobile, and of course all the men at the correctional facilities. Welcome uh, to our weekend experience. Uh, one thing I'd ask you to do, if you will, we'll be leaving tomorrow with a group of about 24 people going to Israel on our annual tour. And so be praying for us for a good trip and return. And then maybe you can go ahead and put that on your list for next year to join us. We do it every November. It's an incredible trip. So keep us in your prayers. Well, we are in this series called Rooted. And in this series, we have all discovered roots that need to be pulled out and replaced with good roots that we produce more good fruit in our lives. Uh, this weekend, I'm going to talk about rebellious roots. If you've missed any pieces to this, you can go back and listen and watch. There may be some roots in your family that have shaped you that you don't even know about or that you even understand. If there is a bent in your family toward a certain sin, God can show you the root and you can take that root out. That's what we've been trying to establish in this series. But we all know that you don't have to teach people to be rebellious. It comes naturally. Remember when they're little, they get older? Yeah. We're all born with a root to be rebellious. So to start, I want to play a little game of word association. Okay, you ready? So I'm going to say a word, and then I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay? Boys and girls, nod your head. Okay? And you can say it out loud, or you can say it in your mind, or say it to your friend or spouse, whatever. It's okay. All right, so I'm going to say a word. You're going to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Here we go. Ready? Sin. Yeah. You may have said, okay, robbery, stealing, murder, adultery, you know, rape, sexual abuse, drug abuse. You may have even said hatred or racism or unforgiveness. And we could have recorded all of our answers. Uh, the list would be long. But Adam didn't commit adultery or murder or stealing or drugs. Yet his sin was so serious it brought all creation into captivity. What did he do that brought so much destruction on mankind? It's simple. He wasn't obedient to what God told him. I'm not saying the list you came up with is void of sin, but that many veer away from the core definition of sin. So how does Scripture define sin? Well, the word defines sin with a word called lawlessness. And, and so it, it's the condition of being without law because of ignorance or because of violating it. So let me give you a simple definition of sin and lawlessness. It's not to submit to the law or the authority of God. Not to submit. Authority today is not a popular word. People reject it. People fear it. When you reject and you fear authority, you can lose sight of protection and the benefits of provision. Some say, well, I just don't believe in authority, or I'm just not going to submit to authority unless I first agree with it. But what is God's position on authority? In this message, we're going to deal with the root cause of many difficulties that people today are struggling with. However, when we confront truth, we typically respond two ways. So, so understand, as a pastor, I have a responsibility. I'm not here to teach to be popular. 
I'm not here to teach to make you like me, okay? I'm here to share the truth. That's my responsibility. But when you share truth, whether it's about rebellion or anything, typically we can respond two ways. One is a defensive manner and even can become angry. I've had people become defensive about a teaching and become angry and get up and storm out. It's okay, the doors are right there. Sorry. We won't put the cameras on you if you do. It's like Cain became angry and defensive. But you know what Cain lost? He lost the revelation that he needed to live a fruitful life. He He didn't live that life. And then we can receive truth with brokenness and humbleness. Like David did when Nathan confronted him about the adultery and the murder that he committed. He was repentant and teachable then God could take him to the next level. Today's truth that I'm going to share with you is like a shot from the doctor. It's painful, but maybe it'll prevent infection. And anytime I think of the shot from a doctor, I go back to a story about seven years ago. And I'm sure that Dr. Martin Williams in the Jungle Hospital, they're watching us right now in Honduras, and so... He knows the story before I tell it. But seven years ago, I was there with about 65 young people. We were doing crusades in a, in a soccer field with 8,000 and 10,000 students there, and it was incredible. And about the night or so before I left, I started getting sick, not feeling well. I was running fever, and of course, Dr. Martin's an old friend. He said, I'll, I'll go by the drugstore and get some stuff, and I'll give you a shot. So we go in, and the, a lot of the youth are in the other room. He takes me into the other room, and you know, and bend over and, oh my Lord, that was the most pain I've ever had in my life. I would have cried, but the teenagers would have seen me. I literally could not walk for, I mean, I I was like this, it was the most painful thing I've ever, it's like, what are you putting in me? It's like mortar or what? It was unbelievable. So I, I can't pronounce it, I don't even remember, but anyway, he wrote it down, so I took it. So when I got back to the States, I go to my doctor to get checked to see what's going on, and I show him that. He said, ooh, that hurt, didn't it? I said, oh yeah, it did. <laughs> so well, he ran test, and he said, uh, that didn't do you any good at all because you have swine flu. So to this day, Dr. Martin Williams will never give me a shot again. I will die and go see Jesus before he gives me a shot again. The truth I'm telling you today, though, will help you, okay? It's not going to be painful for naught. But why are so many people truly resistant or rebellious in hearing the Word of God today? Because it's hard to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. The kingdom of God is just that. It's a kingdom. Therefore, it's ruled by a king, and therefore there is rank and order and authority. That's not democratic. The law of the kingdom of God, you know, they're not superseded or subject to popular opinion or votes or polls. So if we attempt to live as believers with a cultural mindset toward authority, we will be ineffective and positioned for danger. You say, well, well, how? Because our provision as well as our protection can be blocked and even cut off as we disconnect ourselves from the source of life, God Almighty. Listen to what Job said. Job said in 36 and 11, if they listen, people, 
and obey God, they will be blessed with prosperity throughout their lives. All their years will be pleasant. But if they refuse to listen, they will perish in battle and die from the lack of understanding. So notice in that scripture is the promise of provision and protection in exchange to submission to authority. So listen to me, especially you young guys, because you're being bombarded with this all the time. The freedom we seek when resisting authority, we lose in our insubordination to it. There is freedom in submission, but there's bondage in rebellion. And did you know that all authority originates from God? All authority, there's four areas of authority. It's the social, which is your work and and your school, and then there's the government, and then there's the, the family, and then there's the church. But all authority in those four areas originates from God, Romans 13, 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they'll be punished. I mean, no, that's not a popular text today, right? That's not a popular verse. Nobody really wants to hear that. But now listen to this scripture text about today. And it was written a couple thousand years ago, but listen to it. In 2 Timothy 3, 1, Paul says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days will be very difficult times. For people will only love themselves and their money. They they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful, and they will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what's good. And they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Wow, does that describe today or what? The phrase, the last days, is frequent in, in the scriptures. And the last days that we're living in now will prove the most exciting as well as the most frightening time in history of mankind. Here's why. Because yes, there'll be glory and joy, but there'll also be judgment and fear. And and so here's how I kind of see what's going on right now, I feel like as a pastor. In in other words, people in churches love good teaching, good preaching, but when it comes down to reality, they still love their own lives more than they love God's will. And yeah, that's a shot in the rump. It hurts. We must passionately desire His will. How How do we demonstrate that? We take up our cross, deny our rights and privileges for the sake of fulfilling His will. And when I do that, that act keeps me from deception. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7. For this lawlessness is already at work. This sinless lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain a secret until the one who's holding back steps out on the way, out of the way. So we're warned by Paul that the secret power of lawlessness, which is not submitting to the authority of God, is already at work. Now, with believers, lawlessness would be effective if, you know, if it's blatant, but only with believers, it's subtle and deceptive. But God does not want us ignorant of this secret deception by the master of deception. So Paul told us that in these terrible last days, that they would not stem from the government or the economy. He said the reason for the last days times would stem from the widespread deception within the church. Deception is scary because it's deceptive. A person who is deceived believes with all their heart that they're right when they're wrong. The root cause of deception is when a person hears the word of God yet does not obey because deception has entered their hearts and their minds. So why does deception run rampant in the last days? 
Well, Paul said it's because they do not receive the love of the truth of the Word of God. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10. He, Satan, will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that will save them. So to love the truth is not just to enjoy hearing it, but it's also to love obeying it. But today there is a counterfeit grace. The counterfeit grace leads many astray, causing them to make light of obedience and ignorance, and, and, and it's breeding ground for deception. See, God's way to guard us from deception is when the Word revealed by His Spirit becomes part of us. Because if it's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, then, then it can become part of us. If it's not part of us, then it's, it's, it's kind of like this story with Adam and Eve. We've talked about Adam and Eve in Genesis a lot in this thing. You know, the, God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, he told Adam, Eve, heard it from Adam, so she accepted the information from Adam as, well, this is the way it is. So Eve was not, not she didn't have revealed knowledge. She had communicated knowledge. She had secondhand information, which made her more vulnerable to the serpent to hit on. Eve was shocked and confused as the serpent comes along. Why would God keep this fruit from me, from this tree? She judged the fruit to be good and pleasant, not bad. And here's what happened to her. It's, it's called deceptive reasoning. She was blinded to everything around her. What's around her? A paradise. Everything is perfect. But, you know, there's no rain, there's no cold, it's perfect. The, the, the fruit, all the other fruit, all the animals, all, all, every, it, was per, it was a paradise. But she can't see that because she's so focused with deceptive reasoning on this one tree that if it's so good for us, why, why, why would God keep it from us? So here's what she did. Her self-will overrode God's will. So by questioning God's will, taking the path of reasoning, they open up their lives to the master of disobedience. And Satan still operates that way today. So, therefore, divine provision and protection can be compromised by rebellion. And there are various consequences that result from disobedience. The after effects are not immediately recognizable. It's like the seed sown into the harvest. But it could be in your family. It could have been in the, the, the generation before, the generation. It could be a harvest of rebellion all the way through your, your, your lineage. So let's look at Adam and Eve's lineage. Let, let's look at their, the, their first two sons. Because Cain is a farmer, Abel's a shepherd, and they brought an offering to the Lord. Genesis 4, 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And let me, let me say this, stay with me. This refutes a common saying in the church world. God will accept us just like we are. No, God will accept us if we repent of how we are. God didn't accept Cain's offering and he didn't accept Cain. Doesn't mean Cain's destiny was permanently rejected. So our modern thought process of God's unconditional acceptance is inaccurate. In fact, it's dangerous because here's why, because it removes the fear of the Lord from our hearts. We don't, we don't have this fear of the Lord or this reverential fear of the Lord. And in Exodus 20, 20, Moses told the people, he said, for God has come this way to test you so that your fear to him will keep you from sinning. So the fear of the Lord my respect and fear of God guards and causes us to depart from sin. 
In the New Testament, there's a couple, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they're, they're in deception, and then they lied to the elders and the leaders of the church, and, and, and it brought them death. They both dropped dead in front of the elders, and, 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 and then the Bible says great fear came upon the church in Acts 5. So no longer is obedience a casual matter. Adam's two sons were raised in a home that loved God because Adam and Eve learned and they, they brought offerings to the Lord and they taught these boys how to bring offerings to the Lord. So why didn't God accept Cain's offering? Well, let's go back to the roots. Let's go back to the parents. Everything in the garden had a covering, even Adam and Eve, I told you last week. Psalms 8 said that they were crowned and covered with the glory of God. So yes, they, they were naked, but not as we see nakedness. They're covered with the glory of God and protected. The glory concealed their nakedness, but it changed the moment they disobeyed. Prior to their disobedience, their spirits completely dominated. Their spirit. But after the fall, their flesh, their will now dominates. And the Bible says in Genesis 3 that they knew they were naked. And they hid themselves because now they have knowledge. Why? Because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before their fall, knowledge was governed by the knowledge of God. So they're motivated by a sense of obedience out of trust and love. Right and wrong was not in their minds, but it was in God's hands. The knowledge from the tree we call the principle of reasoning. So after they take of the tree, they lose this covering of God, and they no longer need God to govern them. Now they have a sense of right and wrong within them. It's their reasoning. And that's why God asked them, who told you this? God knew, but he wanted to hear them say it. See, they had replaced obedience with reasoning. Immediately the cover of glory is gone, and, and, and they cover themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves is a type of the fruit of the ground. This is where Cain's going to get in trouble, is the fruit of the ground. So out of their new sense of right and wrong, they attempt to do right in their eyes, yet still felt naked. Shame. Because the fig leaves covering was not God's way. That's the fruit of the ground. Then God demonstrated acceptable covering. What did he do? He slayed an innocent animal. Shed the blood, he took the skin of that animal, and he covered them with that. That was God's way. That's not the fruit of the ground. At this point, Adam and Eve are ignorant of what God wanted. But not Cain and Abel, they have no excuses because mom and dad have taught them because they learned a valuable lesson. So they've instilled it in their first two boys, I'm sure. And, 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 and so, in other words, he, he was serving God his own way. Cain. And that, when you serve God your own way, that gravitates toward the curse that operates by the way of reasoning because you draw your own logic to what's right and wrong rather than having that humble childlike attitude like his brother Abel. Abel's attitude was so noted that the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 11, he said it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. The writer equates obedience of Abel with faith because true faith operates out of obedience rather than a sense of right and wrong. Did you hear me? True faith operates out of obedience more than a sense of what is right and wrong. And, and, and so, the, you know, Cain became angry. His countenance fell. This is the classic response of religious people when they're confronted with the truth. They, 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 they want to get angry. Uh, they they, they want to argue. Anger is fueled by pride. So God asked Cain, why are you so angry? And then God said, if you do well, in other words, if you will obey me, you, you'll be accepted. Because God desires obedience over sacrifice. God told his people many times in the scripture, especially in Isaiah 66, hey, get rid of your songs. Get rid of your instruments. Quit bringing sacrifices. Why did he say that? Because they sacrificed, but they did not listen to him, and they did not obey what he said. 
the highest form of worship is obedience. Watch what happened in Genesis 4, 7. God said, you'll be accepted, Cain, if you'll do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. And this, this is not God doing this. He, he, he just, he's just pulling back because he's disobedient. Sin's crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So God's warning, sin, disobedience has a desire. The Lord of lawlessness, Satan, is the force behind disobedience. And once it has entrance, then its one objective is to control and rule everyone and everything. Now he has set in motion a deadly powerful force. So let me illustrate it this way, this force that he has. The law of gravity is a constant force that's always in place, whether you believe it or not. Whether you know it about it or not, it'll affect you. You'll encounter gravity in your life. The law of lift supersedes the law of gravity if conditions are right. So airplanes are designed with a law of lift. When you're flying, you are on a level free from the law of gravity, and you do not fall to gravity's lowest point. So listen to what the writer of Romans said. Romans 8, 2, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, God, has freed you from the power of sin, the enemy, that leads to death. So if you go back to the plane, if the pilot turns off the engine, gravity takes over and the plane's going to come down. If the wings fall off the plane, then gravity's going to take over and the plane's coming down. The writer then in verse 12 goes on and says in Romans 8, Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, for if you live by its dictates, you will die, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you'll live. So here's what I mean. The law of the Spirit of life makes us free from the law of sin, but the law of sin is still intact. It's still there. Our protection, our flight, comes from trust and obedience. Faith and obedience are inseparable because obedience is evidence of true faith. Abel mastered the law of sin by faith. How? By obedience. He's obedient. Cain, God warned Cain that sin's desire is for you. Just like gravity's influence on solid matter. That sin's desire is for you. He said to Cain, if you obey me, you will master it. You'll lift above it. Sin is mastered through obedience. So the point God made to Cain was, if you do well, obey me, sin's at the door. If you don't, sin's at the door, the entrance of your life. In his case, it was sin and demonic powers. So God is saying disobedience opens the door to it, but obedience slams the door shut. So what did Cain do? He persisted in his reasoning. Envy entered, entered his heart. It brought offense. It brought hatred. It brought murder. And he was belligerent, lost all his fear of God. And even his attitude of response to the living God was, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? He's lying to God. He knows where Abel is. God knows where he is, but he wants to hear it from Cain. He lost, Cain lost touch with the reality of spiritual things, and he attempts to lower the image of God to his level. And because of his reasoning, he, he is imagining himself as wise as God. Where did this come from? Well, it came from Lucifer. Reasoning was birthed from iniquity and led him to believe that he could overthrow God. So he was so foolish in doing that, but he, he took a third of the angels with him. And he led them through an open door to the law of sin that persists in disobedience. So a third of the angels were disobedient. Many start out in God and they love God. They're on fire for God. They're active in worship and they serve. And they're telling others about God in their lives. And just like Cain started out diligently, but in time situations come up that expose the true value of your self-will. 
either by God's authority or delegated authority, which is your pastor, they begin to refuse to submit their will and persist in their own way. I've seen so many people start out so pure, so, so open and honest, but then their will comes back, and now their will is, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm not going to do that. And all of a sudden, they're going by their logic of what's right and wrong. And then lawlessness begins to flood their lives. What does it look like? Anger, strife, greed, gossip. And often in this deceived and offended state, they imagine they're right with God, and then they think that all delegated authorities are just extremists, or you're out of touch. The word is old school. The Bible's outdated. Pastor, you're, you're preaching old school stuff. It's outdated. No, believers will stand before God one day, and you're going to be judged for your lawlessness, disobedience, and then you're going to ask yourself this question. How did I drift so far from obedience to the ways of God? I, I, from, from disobedience to God's way why how did i drift so far from that the answer is you didn't love and embrace the truth of god's word the hope for this root is god's mercy will open our eyes so that the light of truth will dispel the shroud of deception so watch my the cry of my heart as your pastor is for god to safeguard you from the mastery of deceptive power of lawlessness to expose truth to those already ensnared in the grips of rebellion and listen to me I've been there, me. There was a day when I didn't know rebellion was in me until, until God's grace and mercy exposed the truth that was in my heart. I was deceived. I thought I was right. God revealed that I was wrong. I repented. I asked God for a broken and contrite heart. And here's what I learned from that. I learned if we learn how to obey God, we will have no trouble recognizing and obeying God's authorities on another. Now, the rest of this message, I wanted to really go, because there's four areas, remember? The social, work, school, the, the, the government, the, the family, and the church. I really so wanted to jump on the governmental part. And God said, until they get this understanding first, and they understand it in the church, they can't demonstrate it in the social, they can't demonstrate it in the government. Okay? So I, I'm, I'm going to take a little turn here. I, and, and I want you to see this. I've established the importance of God's authority. Now I want to discuss the equal importance of submission to his delegated authority. His delegated authority is either... It's from the natural, from the government, from the social, from your job, from your family, and then the church, the spiritual. So I want to take time to look at the church, us, okay? Everybody's still breathing. Everybody's okay. Stay with me. Hebrews 13, 17, here's what the word says. Obey your spiritual leaders, do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy, not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Okay, let me summarize what he just said. Obey those who have the spiritual rule over you. Be submissive to those who have spiritual rule over you. Two different directives, and many confuse them. Watch. Obedience deals with our responsive action toward authority. Submission deals with our attitude toward authority. S uh, obedience deals with responsive action toward authority. Submission deals with attitude. So can we be submissive in attitude and not obedient? Remember the parable Jesus told about the two sons and, the, and one son said, I'll do that, and then the son didn't do that? 
even though he mentally asserted to it, the Word teaches, listen, the Word teaches us unconditional submission to authority. Unconditional deals with our attitude toward authority. But the Word does not teach unconditional obedience to authority. And the exception is when authority tells you to do something that directly contradicts what God has stated in His Word. It's illegal, it's immoral, it's a sin. For instance, King Nebuchadnezzar built the statue. He's got the three Hebrews that he took, out of, took into captivity, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down because it violated the second commandment. It's like a wife is to maintain an attitude of reverence toward her husband's position of authority, even though he is not a believer, but she would not be required to obey if he asked her to sin. David respected the king Saul, even called him Abba, father, but he didn't hang around the palace when the king was throwing javelins at him to kill him. But David never lost his reverential attitude towards Saul's authority. In Exodus, when Pharaoh told all the midwives to kill all the baby boys under, that are born, they refused to do it, and God blessed them for not doing it. In other words, there is no gray area whether the authority is the civil, the family, the church, or the social. God admonishes a submissive attitude, and we're to obey an action unless authority tells us to do something clearly seen in Scripture that's a sin. Now, we've all encountered people who are dissatisfied with leaders over them. We've all encountered people in the family that we're dissatisfied with, in, in the schools, in, 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 in the workplace, the job, the boss, the, the, the government, officials, presidents, the, and the church, and pastors. And here's what happens when we do that. We complain about their ineffective techniques, unwise decisions, and how they negatively have affected us. We complain that they are, they're, they're making promises, but they're not delivering the promises. And, and they're still waiting on things to happen that they said was going to happen. And now we've made up our minds for certain that the leader has missed it, and now the reason that his authority is now the reason that his authority is separate from God. God. God didn't really want that pastor there. He didn't want that person there. Reasoning, your logic from right and wrong, opens the door for complaining, which ends up in subordinate behavior. So you're flirting with deception lured from God's authority placed over them for growth and protection. The children of Israel followed this pattern. They lived by reasoning. That's why they spent 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't live by the principles of obedience. They are comparing the Egypt's mindset and the culture, and they're using logic and reason by the culture. Sounds like today. And you may be thinking, yeah, but pastor, what if I discern something is wrong? Well, we must be cautious before making assumptions. You can't believe everything you read. What separated Joseph from the rest was not discernment. It was his ability to submit to the true ministry of Moses, and out of that he received discernment. Today, people think, I'll submit as long as I agree. Well, there's going to be no submittal because nobody can agree on anything today. Everybody has an opinion, and it's not even worth a cup of coffee. <laughs> so they're making bad decisions, missing God, being negatively influenced. So what I want to do instead of talk about the government and talk about all this, I want to talk about, I want to look at this through a pastor. So I'm going to ask you a personal question. Did God put you in the position of a pastor? I'll answer for you. No, he didn't. Therefore, he's going to show pastors things 
that he doesn't need to show you. And many times he keeps his wisdom from you to see if you will follow the pastor who's following him. Now remember, I've said this. I have been led astray by my reasoning and exalting it higher than the principle of obedience. Like, I'm closer to God. I'm spiritually in tune. God did not limit our submission to authorities to just the times when we see their wisdom and agree with them or like what they tell us. He simply said, obey authority. And if God only intended every believer to get all his information from wisdom and direction from prayer and the word, then he didn't need to put institute authority in the church. But he did. And that's why he gave us the fivefold offices as spiritual leaders. So, so listen, as a pastor, it's not your responsibility to make calls on leadership decisions or even judge the results of the fact of spiritual decisions. The one who put them in authority, it's his will. God's judgment would be more severe than yours. God is my boss. I've told people before, you don't like what I'm doing, what I'm saying on that? Talk to God. He's the boss. Don't talk to other people. Talk to God. Because I'm answering to him, he'll be more severe. Well, pastor, what do we know if it's a bad decision? What, what if we're not discerning? We, we just know this is a bad decision. Can we do something? Sure, Esther did. The king made a terrible, uninformed decision. Yet she spoke to him with respect and honor. She counted on God to turn his heart. She had concrete evidence, not just discernment, and she went in humility, trusted the power of the Holy Spirit. And he changed his mind. He, 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 he undid the law and the Jews weren't killed. Why did he do that? Because of prayer and fasting. See, we, we want to use our logic and our opinions and our mindset to talk about leaders when the most effective thing we can do is pray and fast for leaders. And by the way, we will never see our country turn and get in the right alignment of God's blessings until we start praying and fasting for the leaders of every aspect from the civil to the family to the, to the social to the church. We're never going to go there. We are in a spiritual wilderness of deception because we are using reasoning and logic because we are afraid to take the truth of the Word of God and stand on that and declare that. Yeah. Intercession on someone's behalf doesn't mean you ignore the transgression, you acknowledge it. Our response to the sins of others, especially leaders, is one of the greatest indicators of our spiritual maturity. You look at Noah. Noah had three sons after the flood and everything. He's growing a vineyard and he's got this tent. He gets drunk. The consequence of disobedience of God's authority to those who are fully rebelled will come under the curse. So his son Ham dishonored and showed contempt to the spiritual authority of Noah, God's delegated authority. The moral fail of Noah became a test to his three sons. And the first son was rebellious, Ham. And the other two were honorable and merciful. So in the hall of faith in, the, in Hebrews 11, you, you'll see God boast about Noah's faith and obedience, but he doesn't mention Ham. And if you look at his descendants, the, like Ham, they, 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 there's this curse. They, they, they weren't blessed. Many are like Ham. They're accurate in their report about leaders, yet wrong in God's eyes. And they live in foolishness of their own reasoning, and they lack the heart of a David or a, Sam, a Shem and a Japheth. You go to Aaron and Miriam, the older brother and sister of Moses. He's the high priest, she's the prophetess. They're two people in significant position of leadership, related family to Moses. What do they do? They criticize Moses for marrying a Cushite woman. She's outside the covenant of Abraham. They believe Moses sinned. 
God said not to marry themselves to foreign women and foreign gods. They had the right assessment, yet wrong like Ham. It was out of order. They should have discussed it within the family. What did they do? They discussed it with the, the, whole, the, the three million people on Facebook. So they tell everybody in the congregation the man of God's sin. What fueled them to speak against Moses? Listen, there were, their reasoning that their spiritual gifts, one's a high priest, one's a prophetess, their spiritual gifts, spiritual abilities were above authority. Their reasoning, Moses sinned, we haven't, therefore God used us before Moses is no longer qualified as our authority. Listen to me. Authority in the kingdom of God flows through the office, not the gifts. You can operate in all nine gifts, but the authority of the office supersedes the gifts. The anointing of God is for the people of God. It's never for the validation of the minister's every comment or lifestyle. God said Moses was the most humble man on the earth. Suddenly judgment comes against him with no warning from his brother and sister. And rebellion is contagious. The next day the congregation didn't get the message of how deadly rebellion was. God's angry wants to destroy all of them. Moses and Aaron pray and intercede and stops God's hands, but not before 14,700 people are dead because God hates rebellion. See, pastors, spiritual leaders, we're here to lead and feed. Who? Sheep. You're sheep. You're, you're fashioned like sheep. It's not a big compliment, but it's what God called us. The pastor is one step behind Jesus. Jesus sends his pastors out in his authority. So if you reject the pastors, like rejecting Jesus, you and I must make sure Jesus and a pastor mark our lives. The sheep were marked on the ear. Many sheep have a problem with the pastor, and if you do, th th there is an obedience problem. And what I learned is obedience to God is directly measured by my obedience to those who are over me in the Lord. That's why God told me, until we get this part right in the church, we can't confront things out in our world because we've got to get this part right. We we've got to understand this. Jesus sent under shepherds to lead and feed the flock. Like Moses, he didn't know what to do after all this, so he falls before God. He didn't go to a, to a group or a committee or an internet. He, he didn't do any of that. He, he goes to God for revealed truth. If you rebel and fall to the bidding of your natural man, you will fall to a root of rebellion, and you will reap bitter fruit. The rebellion to spiritual authority is no different from any other form of rebellion in that it stems from selfishness and self-centeredness. Rebellion will cause you to stoop to desperate levels in the name of God, and then here's what we do in the church world. We hide it behind spiritual language. Well, I speak spiritual language too. So when you use spiritual language to me, God said, God said, you better be able to back it up. I had one guy come to me one time, and he said, Pastor, you don't preach under the anointing like you used to. My first impulse was to take him out. I'm just telling you, I was going to lay him out and walk away. And then I said, what makes you say that? He qualified that. I said, sir, your qualification is wrong. You're self-centered and self-serving, and that has nothing to do with what I'm doing. You can't hear what I'm saying because you're all about you and you're self-centered. Wow. Listen to me. I'm not here for a popularity contest. I love you, I serve you, but I'm not going to avoid the truth, and I'm going to be held at a different level of accountability than you are, so I'm going to tell you the truth. 
But don't come to me with, and, and, and listen, let me say this. I'm not, on, I'm, I'm not on some soapbox and nobody's trying to take me out and all that stuff. It's not that. It's just true. The fact, this is really good. I can teach on this the first time when I don't have arrows and javelins being thrown at me. So it's really good. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. So, so don't feel like anybody's out there shooting at me. Nobody's shooting at me. What well, they are, I don't know it. But, but anyway, what I'm saying is this. I have to share the truth with you. You're not going to stand in front of God and say, well, Jerry didn't say that. Because I'm going to be standing on the corner and say, yes, I did. <laughs> November the, I said it. When we attack the authority of God that he's put in place, you attack the heart of God. When you attack the heart of God, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Here's why. Listen. No one knows me like God the Father. And he chose me knowing I'd make mistakes. I'd fail. He doesn't choose leaders for perfection. He chooses because he's God and he knows the heart. If your heart is right, stay in and under authority and God will protect you. If you take matters into your own hands saying, God, you don't know what you're doing with this man, guess what? You lose every time. When you slander and gossip and criticize anyone God has put in authority, and by the way, God has put everyone in authority in those four categories, you have grieved the heart of God, and you will lose every time. Our nation is in a losing status right now because everybody has an opinion based on their reasoning of their logic. Very few are looking at truth and basing decisions on truth because we've got to be politically correct or we've got to have this angle or that angle or whatever. And listen, that's not God at all. We're in a kingdom. We're not in a democratic mindset in the spiritual realm. And the only thing that's going to turn our world around is the spiritual realm. And until you realize that there's a king and he has a delegated authority as a pastor, and when he speaks through a pastor, it's not always perfect, but most of the time it's going to be about the truth. It's not my opinion. Very few times do you hear hear me say this is my opinion sometimes I do most of the time this is what God says this is what the Word of God says and that's what we need to hear why because we need to be submissive to the Word of God and obey the Word of God and quit using your reasoning and your logic to avoid doing what God says do see I, I'm on a rabbit trail right now and that's why I use a manuscript, but I, I'm, I'm liking this trail right here. Well, listen, you make up your own mind on your opinions. And yes, maybe something happened back then or this or that pastor, this church or whatever. So when people say, I don't believe in giving and tithing, well, you're going against what God's Word says. You're being disobedient. Oh, maybe you push through and you've got a good business it looks like it's good but that's what you can do imagine what God could do see the, the old expression you may not have ever heard this mama used to say this or daddy or somebody you cut off your nose to spite your face I never did understand that but anyway it's like when you're disobedient to what God's word says everything in his word lines up and it's truth and it's his understanding of right and wrong that I need not yours, not mine. I don't need my logic reasoning to decide to decide. Well, you know, I think I agree with this group. I agree with that group. What does the Word of God say? 
We have to stand up. And listen to me. You can stand up. The most powerful way you stand up is prayer and fasting. But you can stand up even face-to-face with leaders and confront them in the right way. John the Baptist stood up to King Herod, and he didn't slander him and call him names and, 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 and you know, post all these stupid things about him. He went to him and confronted him on truth, respected his authority. Of course, he cut his head off, but, I mean, he still said it. I bet you didn't know this. Bill Clinton, when he was president, Mother Teresa went to him and had a conversation. Out of respect of his office, she literally took the word of God and cleaned his clock about abortion and the rights of unborn children and how it was God's, it was God's prerogative to give life. She did it in an honorable way. So yes, we can have those kinds, but let's don't get caught up in this logic reasoning in our culture and our society and get on the bandwagon. Why? Because we're going to miss out on the blessings and the protection. I, I'm telling you, I believe in the protection. I believe in the blessings. You couldn't pay me not to tithe. You couldn't pay me to turn my back on what God says and, and compromise. You couldn't, there ain't enough money in the world. Why? Because I have faith, and my faith is evidenced through my obedience to what the Word of God says. And no, I'm not perfect, but nobody's perfect, but this is true. God is perfect, and His Word is perfect, and it doesn't return void. So I, I'm going to end this just totally different. Okay? The last group went along with it. I was surprised. Look at me. All the campuses, correctional, men at the correctional home, this is for you too. Is there anybody listening to me? Is there anybody here besides me that have ever talked negatively about a spiritual leader, a pastor? Now, if I said that about a government official, everybody had to raise your hands on your feet, you know, I know. <laughs> but a pastor. So here's what I feel like God instructed me to do. And this blew me away in the last service. I almost lost my composure. Because God said, if you get this one right, the rest will fall in place. If you've spoken about a spiritual leader in a negative manner before, you raised your hand or you didn't would you stand just just look across the room you're in just look across the majority of people are standing oh god help us help us to understand disobedience help us to understand god's motive help us to trust god and pray and here's how I want to close this. If you stood with me, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of repentance. Okay? And, and, and just so you know, <laughs> I've had people come to other pastors and say, I, I stood, but tell Pastor Jerry I haven't said anything about him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> liar, liar. But no, I didn't say that. Doesn't matter. I've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. 
spiritual leadership is God's delegated leadership to hear from God. I know you don't put all your confidence in a man. You put your confidence in the Word and the Spirit of God. But eventually, when a man of God is talking and hearing from God, you see fruit of the talking and hearing from God. So I want to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that you love us enough to give us your word, the truth. And Lord, truth hurts. It stings. But we have to have it to keep the infection from moving through the body of Christ. And Lord, our country is infected with this. This reasoning and this disobedience is just rampant. Nothing is sacred. Everybody has an opinion. Everyone's negative and everyone's a slandering and all this stuff that's going on. And Lord, it has to hurt your heart. It has to grieve your spirit. So Lord, on our part, in our church, at City Hope, we repent of anything we've said, any thought we've had against a spiritual leader, a pastor, an assistant pastor, or an associate pastor, any anyone in ministry we repent of saying things or doing things that we should not have and we ask you to forgive us and we ask you lord to put on our hearts such a burden to pray for leaders to pray for pastors to pray for our government leaders to pray for our 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 our, our bosses our our owners of our company to, to to pray for our teachers and leaders in college and just just to begin to pray and fast and seek God let us do the right thing so that our nation will do a turnaround because of the power and the authority of the king not Congress not a president not not a party not a denomination but by the power of the king Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior thank you Jesus and everyone said amen can you give Jesus Christ just a big hand of love and appreciation? God bless you.